0: Shalom, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And before we get started, I'd like to apologize. We had some technical difficulties. That's why we are starting a little bit late, but praise to the Most High, we were able to get everything sorted out, and we are back. And I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we are the Science of the Covenant. If you have any questions or comments while the podcast is live or Even after the podcast, while you're listening and you have a question, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com, and we will be happy to get to your questions. So, Pastor, last week we were dealing with the periods of Passover. So what we'll be dealing with today? Uh,
1: What we were trying to show last week in the periods of the Passover is that the Passover sacrifice and all that was connected with with uh, Passover was not something that was initiated on this earth, but it was in the council before the creation that that was uh, put into place. And so what we want to continue to do, since we've looked at what we call a pre-creation, we want to spend this time here as we close Passover today at, in, the, in the evening is, we want to look at the present creation, Passover, what happened when this world came into existence and then after the world, after this world, how would Passover uh, be looked upon in the sense of the post-creation after this world is done away with and we enter into eternity, how do we see pass over then? And that's that's the trend, and that's the uh, direction in which we are moving. Okay, let's get started. Eternal Father, we thank you for the way that you've corrected the technical difficulties, and as we go into this particular service, we ask that you would be able to take full control, that the prince of the air might not have his way, but you might have your way, and that your tall, beautiful, princely angels, or heavenly Father, may be able to take control of that which is trying to destruct and to move in a different direction in which you have intended, that we may be able to get this broadcast through. Bless my host, bless me, bless each one who shall listen, and most of all, Help us to be able to understand the things, Lord, that are being uttered, that we can be better prepared, that when you do come, we can meet you in peace. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. So bless us as we open your sacred word in Yeshua's name. Amen. And amen. Okay, what we want to do is uh, in the second part, we want to deal with the present creation passover the present and i'm going to ask you to turn your bibles with me to uh we want to look at the third verse i mean the third chapter of the third chapter of the book of genesis and we want to look at verse 15 in genesis thirteen fifteen. okay now when we read in this verse it speaks about, uh, he said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Okay, now, he said, I will put enmity between the and the woman. Now, who is this talking? Well, actually, this is uh, Yehoah, Elohim. He's the one that is speaking. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So what we're looking at as we deal with this topic, the, pre, the present creation, Passover. In other words, when our first parents transgressed and they needed a Savior, he is saying that a Savior would come. And when the Savior come, that that Savior uh, would put enmity, that he, he would put enmity between the woman and between thy seed and her seed. So you're talking about two seeds here. You're talking about the seed of the serpent, Satan, and the seed of the woman, which would be Yeshua. And it says that Yeshua's seed would bruise the head of the serpent seed. And the serpent seed will bruise the heels of the woman seed. So, all of this that he's he's telling is something to be fulfilled. But as we did, looked at the first uh, period of time of the Passover, it was prophesied and laid out in that scenario. And so, when we move now into the creation that he has created a lot of the things that he had prepared for, they are now coming into existence. So when we look at the pre-creation Passover, thus far we have seen how Yah and his son made provisions for the fall of man even before he fell. This was due to Yah's mercy and grace in the pre-creation Passover. In this present creation which started in Genesis up until the close of this present age, we are considered this period as the earthly Passover. In the earthly Passover, we have what we would refer to as the animal sacrificial system. It is this system that we want to look at and examine, and we would refer to this system as the animated sacrificial system. So when we deal with the animated uh, sacrificial system, it's going to involve animals. And what we, and what we want to keep you to keep in mind is that when the uh, animated sacrificial system was instituted, that it was a part of the covenant that this covenant that we are dealing with was already put in place before it even happened. So we have to draw the conclusion that if he had an animal sacrificial system, that when the son and the father was discussing how to save man, if he should sin, then they had already planned that they would put in place an animal sacrificial system even before it it came to this world. When When it was introduced to this world, they had already discussed that the animals would play a part in this. So in the animated sacrificial system, we have living animals being sacrificed. If that is so, then we'd have to ask the question, who was it that was responsible for the animal sacrificial system? Who was responsible for it? We know that when our first parents forfeited the rights of the covenant, By them partaking of the forbidden, then Yah himself made them provisions for redemption after they had forfeited their covenant with Elohim. Now, we want to turn in Genesis 3.21. In Genesis 3.24, notice what it says. Genesis chapter th- uh, 3 and verse 21 says, Unto Adam and also unto his wife Eve did Yehoah, Elohim, make coats of skins and clothes them. Okay, so we know that when our first parents forfeited the rights of the covenant by eating the forbidden fruit, Yah himself made them coats of skins and he clothed them. Now, when we look at these coats of skin, where did he get them? Well, apparently he had instituted, he himself, the sacrificial system in which he took the skins of the animal sacrifice in order to clothe them. So it seems pretty apparent that Yah Elohim initiated the sacrificial system with our first parents in Eden when he clothed them with coats of skin. So when he clothed them with coats of skins, that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the sacri- the, uh, the animated uh, sacrificial system. So when did it start on Earth? It started with Elohim, and had, Elohim had already made the provisions even before he started the system in Eden. And so now we see in in this present creation that we are in. And when we talk about the present creation, we'll talk about the time that this creation started in Genesis all the way until the second coming. And when this world is destroyed, all of that is considered as the present creation. So moreover, when we examine the pre creation Passover period, it is what we would refer to as the heavenly Passover. See, now in this world, we are dealing with the, <clears throat> the uh, earthly Passover. But see, when it was introduced before this world was created, we call that the heavenly Passover, and in the heavenly Passover was where we are told from Scripture that Yeshua would be as a slain lamb to redeem the lost souls of mankind. Therefore, when the Paradise pair transgressed the covenant and were given the promise prophecy of a coming Savior through the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. This information about the coming of the seed of the woman wasn't coming out of a vacuum, but rather it was coming from the pre-creation Passover council of which the father and his son had previously discussed prior to the creation of man. They had already discussed all this. All things discussed concerning man's salvation were already spoken about in the heavenly council between the father and his son in the pre-creation period. And if that is true, then we could also conclude that even the animal sacrificial system must have been discussed. After all, in the scripture... The prophets didn't just come up with the idea that they would call the coming Savior and our Messiah, the Lamb of Yah. It was it was revealed to them that he would be Yah's Lamb. So when we talk about the Lamb, uh, when we consider the usage of the word Lamb in the scriptures, it is indicative of the sacrifice of Yeshua. Peter as well as Paul uh, Peter as well as John points out to us that Yeshua would be the lamb slain these usages of the term slain lamb were not in reference to the present creation of which we now share but rather from the council of heaven even when John the baptist said <clears throat> of Yeshua, what did he say? Let us turn to, uh, let us turn to the Gospel of John and find out what did John the Baptist say uh, about the Lamb, okay? So when we turn to the Gospel of John and we look in chapter 1 and we look at verse number 29, notice what John says. The Bible says... And the next day John seeth Yeshua coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of Elohim, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, he says, Behold the Lamb of Yah, which taketh away the sin of the world. Okay. How did John know that was the Lamb of Yah? How did he know that? However, when we read In the following verses, we get some idea how he was able to perceive who Yeshua was. And we are given an explanation as to how John the Baptist knew that Yeshua was the Lamb of the Father. Now, notice what we read in in, in, in verse 30 of John, the first chapter. John says in verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Okay, so, so here in this verse, John is recognizing that the appearance of Yeshua here, this is not his first time being in existence. He is speaking about Yeshua being in existence before he came to this world. Even though John was born into this world six months before Yeshua, yet Yeshua existed before him. And this is what he's expressing. Now, let us go to Luke. Let us go to the book of Luke in chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Okay, now here in Luke chapter 1, we want to look at uh, verse 26. Luke chapter twenty one, not twenty one, but Luke chapter one, verse twenty six says this. It said, and and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from Elohim unto a city of Nazareth, name and to a unto a city of Galilee, named Nazareth. Okay, so here when Elizabeth was barren about six months the angel Gabriel, who had already spoken to Elizabeth, he was sent from Elohim to a city in Gal- Galilee named Nazareth. Now notice what it says also in verse 36 of Luke 1:36, it says, it says, and behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Okay, so now we see the same angel, Gabriel, who appeared to Elizabeth, is now going to appear to Mary. And at this particular time, Elizabeth is six months barren. Moreover, John goes on to say that uh, in this, uh, going back to the book of John, let's go back to the gospel of John. Uh, He goes on to to say in verse, uh, we read verse 30, 30, but he says in verse 32, he says, well, we'll read 31 and lead on up to that. He says, and I knew him not. In other words, uh, he said, John is saying that the man was coming to be baptized. He said, Uh, He was before me He said And I knew him not I didn't know him But he that should be made Manifest to Israel Therefore am I come Baptizing with water He said he is to be uh, Manifested to Israel He said but my mission was to come Baptizing with water And verse 32 goes on to say And John bare record saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him okay so he says one of the distinguishing things that I could be able to distinguish my cousin from all the rest he said that the holy spirit like a dove would come upon him and verse 33 goes on to say and I knew him not but he that sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me up up on Whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. So, in other words, it is said that John was sent by Elohim to baptize, and the one that he would see the Holy Spirit descending upon as a dove, that he would be the one who would also. Baptized with the Holy Ghost, just like John was baptized with water. And then he goes on to say, in verse 34, he said, And I saw and bear record that this is the son of Elohim. Now, what I want you to see is this, that when he first saw Elohim, he knew that it had been revealed to him that the same person that you see that the Holy ghost would be descended upon like a dove. That is the lamb of Elohim. He said, behold the lamb of Elohim. I'm pointing them out to you. And then in verse 34, he's telling you who the lamb of Elohim is. He's saying, and I saw and bear record that this is the son of Elohim. So in other words, he's saying uh, the one that you see that I bore record of He is the Lamb of Elohim, but I'm pointing out more specifically, this Lamb that you see that I'm pointing out is the Son of Elohim. Now, consequently, what we can discern from the passage of Scripture is that when He pointed Him out as the Son of Elohim, and also the Lamb of Elohim, it takes us back to uh, one of the texts that we have studied earlier. Let us go. We want to turn to First Peter. Okay, we want to go to First Peter, and in First Peter, we want to look at 1 chap- chapter chapter one, First Peter chapter one. Okay, and here in First Peter chapter one, we want to look at verses nineteen and twenty. Okay, now John already bore witness that the one that you see, that the Holy Spirit coming on, that's the lamb, and he's also the son of Elohim. Now, look what is Peter is saying. Peter says, but with the precious, in verse 19 of the first chapter of uh, uh, of First Peter, it says, but with the pres- precious blood of the Messiah as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So here, in this particular passage of scripture, uh, John is pointing out, that our redemption came not through silver or gold, he said, but with the precious blood of the Messiah. And then he describes the Messiah that he's talking about. He said, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He said, this is the lamb. So when we talk about the lamb, it is pointing to a sacrifice of a life of Yeshua. And verse 20 says, He says, this lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for you. So he said it's foreordained. And we know that the foreordination of the Passover or the lamb being slain was what Elohim had discussed in the council Before the world was. And this is what Peter is referring to. Because when he said foreordained, he's talking about something that had uh, been discussed even before it happened. Okay. So now let us turn to the other text that we uh, generally look at for the uh, something that has taken place before the foundation of the world. And that's found in Revelation chapter 13. So in Revelation chapter 13, we want to read verse number eight. And verse number eight of the thirteenth chapter of Revelation says, "And all the world, and and all that dwell upon the earth, shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb slain for the foundation of the world." So now, what we're looking at here, even though John is talking about uh, people who worship the beast, but he is also saying that there are those who will not worship the beast, and their names. Uh, of those who did worship the beast are not written in the book of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So from the foundation of the world, uh, Elohim already knew who's going to be saved. And he talks about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So if you're talking about slain from the foundation of the world, that means that something went on before the world was created that was dealing with the slain lamb or the plan of redemption. So when we look at that, it was pointed out to John that Yeshua was the Lamb of Yah by the Holy Spirit descending upon him. And also Yeshua would baptize with the Holy Spirit once he started his ministry. Then John goes on to say that the Lamb of Yah is the Son of Yah. Consequently, what we can discern from the passages of Scripture in 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20, and Revelation 13, 18, is that before the foundation of the world, the Messiah, our Savior, was spoken of as the Lamb of Yah. We can see from this that the speaking of Yeshua as the Lamb's, as Yah's Lamb, wasn't an afterthought, whereby when our first parents transgressed that this term, uh, came up. this turn didn't just come up randomly or just what somebody thought about. this this was already in the in the mind of Elohim and also the mind of Yeshua, and they knew that he would be represented in this world, in this present creation as a lamb. Apparently it was conceived of and brought forth when the father and his son put together the plan of salvation for mankind, even before mankind was created. When we hear or examine passages referring to the slain lamb being foreordained and before the foundation of the world, that is a clear reference to the crucifixion of Yeshua, which had not yet taken place. It was merely being discussed that if once man was created and failed to live up to Yah's covenant, Yeshua as a lamb would die for him. If Yeshua wasn't actually slain and put to death in the foreordained council, which took place before the foundation of the world, then why did it say he was slain? if he wasn't actually slain at the time and it was, they were discussing it, why does Revelation and also in the book of Peter, why do they say he was slain? Let us examine this in our, in, 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 in this, in, 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 in the context of what John and Peter is referring to, okay? Even though they use the term that he was slain, and yet he was not slain. What? How do we make sense of this? Well, one of the ways we make sense of it is that when we look at, when they said that he was the lamb slain, he was a lamb slain with, who had neither spot nor blemish. And we know that when we discuss the lamb that was without blemish is talking about a perfect lamb. Okay, why? Because Yeshua would have a perfect life. And so, when we deal with him being slain before the foundation of the of the world, and yet we are saying he was not actually slain, what are we dealing with? Well, here's what we're dealing with. We are dealing with what we call the con- contractual covenant, the contractual covenant. Now, when we talk about the contractual covenant, we are talking about the contract that was made, the contract. When Peter and John spoke about Yeshua being the lamb slain, before the foundation of the world, it wasn't actually a slaying, but rather a conceptual agreement that if man in whom he would create should transgress, he would be the one to be slain in his place. In other words, when Adam transgressed, it was already a contractual covenant made before he transgressed that if he transgressed, then Yeshua would take the place of Adam and Adam would take his place. And what was the place of Adam? He was a sinner. What was the place of Yeshua? He was righteous. And he would exchange righteousness for unrighteousness. And therefore, he would pay the penalty and the sin and the sentence of sin for Adam. That's what the contract was. Even though the covenant had been put in place before man was created, yet it had to wait for its fulfillment. So when we talk about a contractual covenant, we are talking about something that was discussed, and what was discussed was simply that what was needed to save man would be the slain lamb. So they spoke of it in that language, but it had not uh, transpired yet. And so when we look at a contractual covenant, it is saying not what was, it, it, it was stating what would be done in case that sin would enter into the human family. So it's not what was done. They were discussing what would be done in case that happened. So when we look at the contract, the contract spelled out everything that was needed, that if man would forfeit the covenant by doing something contrary to it, then the contract states that Yeshua would come and he would die. And so when they say he was a lamb slain from the foundation, it's not that they actually slew him, but they actually discussed it. And then when it happened, he would actually be slain. Okay, now, we looked at the pre-creation Passover, and we also have just finished looking at the present creation Passover. Now what we want to do is go to the last part of our discourse, which talks about the post-creation Passover. In other words, how would Passover be after after creation after this creation okay let's look at that i think that's something worthy we can we can we can explore and in doing so let us turn to the book of matthew and in the book of matthew we want to look at matthew chapter 26 and we want to consider a few verse verses in matthew chapter 26 and we want to look at verses 27 down through 29. Okay, so we want to look at Matthew chapter 27 through 29. And the Bible says, well, actually, we want to, let me see, actually, we want to start with verse 26 rather than 27, even though the book of our discussion will be from 27 on. But let's get to context. Okay, that's Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 26 and following. It says, and as they were eating, Yeshua took bread and break it and gave to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then took he the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink ye all of it for This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay, let's get the picture here. In these verses, it appears from these verses that Yeshua is speaking concerning a future passover in which he would partake with his with them because when he says but i say unto you i would not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until the day when i drink it new with you in my father's kingdom so it sounds like he's talking about something future not at this time and so if he's talking about something future he's talking about a heavenly passover because uh, once he was resurrected after they crucified him on earth, he spent, an, he spent another 40 days with his instruction his disciples. And when he was instructing them, he went back to glory after that 40 days have, had expired. So we know that if he was telling the disciples, I'm not going to drink this fruit of the vine until it's new with you in the kingdom. He was talking about something after the plan of salvation was over. He was looking forward to the future. However, in this passage, he is giving some instructions as to the emblems which would represent him in the post-creation Passover, okay? So, in other words, he's telling you that when we celebrate this in in, in my Father's kingdom, it's gonna be new grape juice, new. In other words, even the grape juice we got here is old grape juice. But when we get into the kingdom, and we know that the kingdom is where? It's in heaven. Father's kingdom is not on this earth. And so if it's not on this earth, then that means we'll be in heaven celebrating a communion. And so if we in heaven celebrate the communion, he said, you're gonna, he said, I'm gonna celebrate it with you with the new, what'd he say? He says, until when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So he's saying, Mm -hmm. looking for something new in my father's kingdom to drink. Okay. So we look at this and we say, all right. uh, He is saying that the bread that you're eating is going to represent my body. And the fruit of the vine that you are drinking is going to represent my blood. So what is taking place here? Let us turn into Exodus chapter 12. We want to see what's, what's taking place here because if we don't see what's taking place, we may miss the trees for the forest. Okay? We want to turn to Exodus chapter 12. So in Exodus chapter 12, we got a few verses we want to uh, read from. Exodus chapter 12, and the first verse we want to read is verse 5. Exodus chapter 12, and we want to read verse 5. Now notice what verse 5 says. It says, Your lamb shall be without blemish and a male of the first year, and ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Now the Bible is saying when they were down in Egypt, Elohim told them that they should take a lamb without blemish. And you remember we read about Peter was saying it had to be without uh, blemish and spot. And so this is kind of following the same thing, okay? So Peter knew this because Peter had read Exodus. And he knew that whatever lamb they had, according to Exodus and a number of other passages found in other uh, scriptures such as Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they said, whenever you brought a lamb, it had to be without blemish or spot. But now what we notice in verse five is not only could they bring a lamb or a sheep, they could bring a goat. So you had a lamb or a goat that could be bought. Well, I wouldn't say bought, but brought. They could they could bring a sheep or a goat. But the sheep or the goat still had to be without blemish or sweat. It still had to be perfect condition, okay? All right, now, so with that in mind, now we want to le- read in the same Exodus chapter 12. Here's what we want to read. We want to read the verse 8 now. Exodus 12, 8 says... And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted with fire, under bread, with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Now, if you notice in verse number eight, it is given us at the time of the Exodus, when they were about to enter into the Passover, it gives them the meal that they should prepare. Now, what was the meal? The meal was, they would have the flesh of the, lamb or the flesh of the goat. That was the meat that they were to eat and they were to roast it. And then the next item they were to have for the Passover meal was unleavened bread, unleavened bread. They didn't have time for the bread to rise because they was on their way out. And about midnight, they would get out of Egypt. So they didn't have time for it to rise. But in addition to that, the, the leaven in the bread, as we've discussed, could be talking about the sin of leaven. So, they got all the living out and they, they they would eat unleavened bread. And then the third item that they would have on the menu was with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Okay. So here we have it. The flesh of goats or lambs, unleavened bread and bitter herbs. That was the Passover meal. That's what the Passover meal. Now, when we turn back to Matthew's chapter 26, and when we read the verses that we have already read, what we are making a comparison of that prior to the Passover meal involved with the lamb or the goat, unleavened, it said prior to this, this Passover in which Yeshua was celebrating with his disciples, uh, it was a lamb and goat, unleavened bread and bitter herbs that made up the meal. And now that Yeshua is celebrating with his disciples, it strongly suggests that by him using the unleavened bread to represent his body and the fruit of the vine to represent his blood, he was making some changes to correspond with the Passover service after we enter into heaven. He would make them those changes here on earth because we would have to make a transition once we go to the Passover in heaven. No doubt in heaven there won't be any eating of flesh. Won't be any eating of flesh. So, it seems rather ideal that he would replace the flesh with those foods which grows in the earth. After all, those were the foods which man was to eat in Eden prior to the entrance of sin, entering into the world? Could it be that the Passover in the future was being introduced to his disciples and to us when he sat with them in his last Passover service with them? We must take into consideration that if up until Yeshua's last Passover upon this earth, he excluded flesh from the Passover meal, then what was his intentions other than the fact that he was bringing to an end the old covenant which concerned itself with the blood of animals? Now the new covenant would concern itself with the blood of our Messiah. Animal blood was no more to be needed once he offered his blood. Now let us turn to the book of uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Okay. So what we are seeing, he was introducing a new meal. He didn't change the Passover date and neither did he do away with Passover, but he certainly changed the meal. We see he changed the meal. It was no longer the goat or the lamb or the unleavened bread and the herbs. It is now, he said, my body is going to be represented by what? He said, the bread, the unleavened bread, and also the grape juice. That's what my body, my blood is going to be represented. So these was what he instituted in the place of the flesh, okay Now let us turn to uh, we are turning now to Hebrews chapter 10 and we we'll want to look at the verse four. look, look at b- verse four. It said, "For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So here he said, you know it's, it's not possible that the blood of goats and, 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 and bulls can take away sins. See that was the blood. Of the animal sacrifice of the goats and the sheep and the other sacrifices. He said that they blood could not take away sins. And then in verse five, he goes on and said, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to do thy will, O Elohim. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for a sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast thou pleasure therein, which are offered by law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O Elohim. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Now, what is that talking about? He said, well, I'm taking away the first covenant that the animal blood was to atone for because I'm getting ready to establish the second covenant, and this is going to be in my blood. And then when you now celebrate the Passover service in the future, your meal would consist of the unleavened bread, And also the grape juice, and he was introducing that to his disciples because he letting them know, once you go to glory, there aren't going to be any killing of animals. It's going to be my blood that has already atoned for you, but when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of my Father, it's going to be that grape juice that we will be using, not partaking of any lamb's blood, so I'm letting you know here on earth and when I go back to heaven and when you consider doing this service in heaven, you don't have to look for any flesh because there aren't going to be any flesh there to eat. And my blood is going to be represented by the grape juice and my body is going to be represented by the bread. And that's going to be the new meal that you will be partaking of. So now let us go back. Let us go back to Matthew. Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Okay. Matthew chapter 26. And here in the 26th chapter of Matthew, here it says in the 29th verse, Matthew 29, I mean, 26, 29 says, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So when we look at this, the fruit of the vine that he would not drink until he got into his father's kingdom. And so when we read in Matthew twenty six twenty nine here in this text, it points out that he, that the grape juice would be new and they would drink it in his father's kingdom. And we know, according to scriptures, his father's kingdom is in the third heaven. We have the atmospheric heaven, we have the starry heaven, and then we have the heaven where the Father dwells. So, where the birds fly in the atmospheric heaven and where the stars are, and above the stars, we have the Father's kingdom. And we know, according to the scriptures, His Father's kingdom is in that third heaven. Is this post? creation event he is referring to is the same event which john calls in the book of revelation. So is this post-creation event he is referring to is the same event which John calls the marriage supper. Okay so let's turn to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation chapter nine I mean 19 book of Revelation chapter 19, and we want to look at uh, the 19th uh, chapter, and we want to look at one verse there. Now, here in, in Revelation 19, I want to look at verse number 9. Okay, now I remember when Yeshua was sitting with his disciples, he said, I'm not going to partake of this fruit of the vine until it is new in my Father's kingdom. Okay, so now... I can only imagine that if he's saying he's going to drink the wine new, he's referring to the fact that in heaven, when I keep the Passover, I'm going to drink this wine new. Now, notice what John says in Revelation 19, 9. It said, And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These things are true sayings of Elohim, so when he calls the marriage supper of the elo, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, it sounds like he's talking about Passover, but he's calling it the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the marriage supper of the Lamb was when he was crucified here on earth, according to the pre-council that was given before the foundation of the world. But now after he has been crucified on this earth, and then we keep Passover in heaven. He's calling this the marriage supper of the Lamb, because when you talk about the Lamb, one of the main things about the Lamb is that it had to be slain in order to get His blood, in order to atone for us. And once He had atoned for us, we became His bride, and His bride was washed in the blood of Yeshua. And as the bride was washed in the blood of Yeshua and made clean by continuing to walk in the covenant that He had given, He is saying that the Passover service is actually the supper of the Lamb. And so, if you are in this supper, you are actually in Passover. So, what do we have here? We have Passover that is being referred to as the supper of the Lamb. Okay, now, we're going to close with this. When John the Baptist first started baptizing, Yeshua came to him, he says... Behold the Lamb of Elohim that taketh away the sin of the world. So what we want to close on in the in the portion of the creation in the future is the Lamb language, the Lamb language. What is the Lamb's language? When we examine the language about the Lamb, what we discover is that it wasn't an earthly concept, but rather the Lamb language was developed in heaven. That's where it came from, and the prophets got a hold of this stuff. When Yah and his... Son, were putting together the plan of redemption spoken of in the council of peace, which was held before the foundation of this world and spoken about by Yah's servants, the prophets, and those who espoused his word. When Peter and John were speaking of the lamb being slain, they were not the originator, the originators of this lamb language it was revealed to them. This language of the Lamb was both a revelation and a prophecy of him who was to come and be slain on behalf of the sinful race. Now, let us look at the Lamb's language, okay? Once it had been said in heaven that Yeshua would be, be the Lamb, and once the prophets start prophesying, to the world that a Messiah was to come, they used this lamb language. So let's just look at a few texts that talks about the lamb's language that we'll be dealing with in the future Passover, but we also want to see how it was dealt with in this, in this current world. Okay, let us turn to Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22, we want to look at verses 7 and 8. Notice what it says. Genesis chapter 22, verses 7 and 8 says, It said, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said unto him, The fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, Elohim, will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. So Isaac knew that when they had a sacrifice, they had to have a lamb. And when he spoke to his father, his father said uh, he himself would provide a lamb. And the lamb that the father would provide would be his own son, just like Abraham was was getting ready to sacrifice his own son. Okay. Now, the thing that we look at is, is this. He was using the lamb language. Okay. So, well, he was using the lamb, lamb's, lamb's language, and then when he got ready to kill Isaac, what happened? Well, there was a ram that was caught in the in, in thicket. Now, you tell me, is there a difference between a ram and a lamb? Yes, it is, because Elohim didn't even get Abraham a lamb. He gave him a ram, because Abraham said, Lord, going to provide his own lamb, and his lamb was going to be his son. Now, let's turn to Exodus. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 34. Okay, in Exodus chapter 34, we want to look at verse number 20, Exodus 34, 20. Now, here's what it says. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 20. So, we see Abraham was, and his son was using lamb language, even though they got a ram, but they recognized that the lamb of Yeshua was coming. So, here in Exodus 34, and we're looking at verse 20. The Bible says... But the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou redeem him not, then shalt thou break his neck. All the firstborn of thy son shalt thou redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. So in other words, it's talking about if you want redemption, you have to have a lamb. That lamb, that lamb language is all the way through the Bible. Now let's turn to the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, we want to look at chapter number 53 Isaiah 53 and we want to look at verse 7 notice what verse 7 says Isaiah 53 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he opened it not his mouth so even Isaiah was prophesying that the lamb was come even before the lamb came because in the pre-council of what Elohim gave and then when man sinned in this present creation, he was able to pick up on the insight or the inspiration of how Elohim had put in his mind about the lamb and he is saying here that the lamb would be the one that would be slaughtered as a sheep he is dumb and he opened it, not his mouth. So again, we see the lamb language. All right, let us turn to Acts in the book of Acts. And here in the book of Acts, we wanna look at chapter, chapter eight, Acts eight, chapter eight. Now here in Acts of chapter eight, and we are looking at uh, verse 32. Acts eight thirty two says, he says, let me see. Uh, well, okay, thirty two says, and ye shall know the truth. Let me see. No, I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong passage. Okay, Acts. I want Acts eight thirty two. Okay, here what it says in Acts eight thirty two. He says, he says here in the 32nd verse of Acts 8, he said the place of the scripture which he had read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearers. So he opened it not his mouth. The same text that I just read in Isaiah 53, 7 is what, Philip was reading to the Ethiopian eunuchs about the slain lamb, okay? And then when you look at John uh, 1, 29, we've already read it. When John was baptizing, he said, Behold the lamb of Elohim to take away the world. And then we read in First Peter 19 how he talked about the lamb that, that was slain. And then when we get over here in Revelation, let us notice over in, in the book of Revelation. Let us go there. Okay. Now, when we get in the book of Revelation, it is a plethora of terms used about the slain lamb. Now, when we read in Revelation chapter 5, and we go to verses, uh, we go to verse 6. Notice what it says. Revelation 5, 6 says, And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne... And of the four beasts And in the midst of the elders Stood a lamb as it had been slain Having seven horns and seven eyes Which are the seven spirits of Elohim Sent forth into all the earth So again, we got that lamb language He says he was a lamb that was slain Okay, let us stay right here in in, in chapter 5 And go to verse 8 Revelation 5, 8 says And when he had taken the book the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps with golden vials vowels, vowels full of odors, which are prayers of the saints. So here we see another uh, allusion to the lamb. Okay, And then when we look at uh, Revelations 5.12, it says... Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. So they are saying, He is worthy. Now, this is talking about after uh, he had been crucified on earth. This is in the post creation. And they are saying, Worthy is the Lamb. And then when we look in verse 13, it says, And every creature which is in heaven, And on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessings and honor and glory and power unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Talking about the Lamb. Okay. Now, when we look at uh, uh, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, notice what it says. He said, And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. There's that Lamb language, okay? Now, when we look at uh, verse 10 of the same seventh chapter, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, "Salvation to our Elohim, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb." Okay. Now let us turn to, uh, uh, in the same uh, seventh chapter, we look at verses, verses fourteen, verse fourteen. Uh, let me see. Uh, Revelation seven of uh, uh, fourteen says. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, which have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then in in verse 17 of the same Revelation 7, it says, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto the fountains of waters, and Elohim shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now let us use Revelation uh, 12, 11. Notice what it says. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Revelation 13, 8 says, what does it say? Revelation 13, 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb, book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So what we see is that the Lamb language started before the creation, and when the creation had commenced and he established the world, they still talked about the Lamb, and then after the world is gone, they're still talking about the Lamb. You know, a story was told, I think it was over in England, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, the gist of the story was that when there was a church that was built, and when they built this church, they had over the entrance of the church, high up over the entrance, they had a lamb that they was memorializing. And each time they would go into the church, you know, you have to pass under this lamb. And so... As they would have it, one day a person was going into the church and he noticed a lamb up over the door. And he inquired, why why would y'all put a lamb over the entrance of the door when you go in? And so a person who had known the history of the church, he said when we were building this church, what happened in the construction of it that there was one of our workers while he was working on the church and he was up on a scaffold and he accidentally had fallen down. And when he fell down, it was a baby lamb that was there that broke his fall and he, his life was spared, but the lamb was killed by the weight of the body of the man. And so what we are looking at here is that throughout eternity, that we are going to be dealing with the Lamb. There are two things that we're going to study in eternity, two things. We're going to study nature, and we're going to study the plan of redemption. We're going to study nature, but we're also going to study the love of Elohim that is wrapped up in the cross. And just as when they went through that church, they had to always go up under the Lamb because it memorialized the fact that this man was saved by the lamb. And when we get into eternity, it's going to memorialize the fact that we're going to talk about the lamb for eternity is because we are saved by the lamb. Eternal Father, as we close this day of Passover this evening, we pray that our minds may be on the language of the lamb, that we may understand that in the pre-creation and the present creation, and the post-creation, is all about the Lamb. And as we have celebrated Passover this whole week, we have been focusing upon the Lamb for the redemption that He has given to us. So he let us be faithful to the Lamb, that we would always be true to Him, that we would treasure the blood that He has shed for us and has given to us to be able to conform us into the image of Elohim, mm-hmm. that when He does send His Son, that we will be so much in His image that we can go with him. And when we celebrate the Passover in the future with the bread and the new grape juice in his Father's kingdom, we can look back and say heaven was cheap enough because we have accepted the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah. In his name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen.
0: Amen. Well, since we are going to still be continually talking about Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread, we will go into the next segment. Up next. Let's talk about that. So, as you know, we're still in the season as we end in uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. So I want to ask a few questions still on your discourse. Mm -hmm. Um, So, now, has the first covenant been done away with, or that's to come? Uh,
1: The first covenant is gone. When he died on the cross, that first covenant... Uh, there is a study we do on the covenants because actually the first covenant is, is really actually the second covenant, and the second covenant uh, is really the first covenant. Now, what do I mean by that? In other words, when Elohim first made the covenant, he made it around his son who was to die. Mm-hmm. That was the first covenant. But when the covenant came into this world before Elohim uh, instituted the covenant that he had made before the foundation of the world, he introduced it by the animal covenant. So, if you can follow the logic, before the world was, he said, he and his son, that if I make this world and man sin, somebody has to die. Mm-hmm. I cannot die. I'm the father. You can. Are you willing? To die, and Yeshua says, hey, I'm willing to die for man if he sinned. That was the first covenant. But mm-hmm. when he introduced it into this world with the animal covenant, that was a second covenant in okay. actuality. So when Jeremiah and the book of Hebrews is talking about the first and the second covenant, they are they they are they are talking respectively about uh the covenant of the animal sacrifice. And mm-hmm. so when the animal sacrifice came, which was actually the second covenant. Of which we call the First Covenant, uh, when Yeshua died, he fulfilled uh, what the First Covenant, what that was discussed in from the creation of the world before the world was. He fulfilled that. And then once he fulfilled that, he did away with what we call the First Covenant, or which was the Second Covenant. He did away with that. Okay. And okay. when he did away with that, now his blood could atone for us, not animals. So let's look at it from this standpoint. Uh, If we understand that when Elohim killed the first animal in order to close Adam and Eve, that was the introduction of the first covenant as far as the human race was concerned. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, it was second, but it was the first one, okay? So when Jeremiah got a hold of it, he's saying all of these animals that we are using is of the first covenant. So the second covenant, when Yeshua came and he was crucified— in the same covenant, he was telling his disciples that this bread is my body and this grape juice is my blood. That was the second covenant. And so when he fulfilled that, it was no need for the first covenant that had been introduced with the animals. That was gone. And when you learn in, in the New Testament, they still continued to keep Passover. But the emphasis was on the blood and on the body, on the uh, unleavened bread and on the grape juice. They didn't have to bring an animal.
0: Okay. Um, now, you said uh, before the foundation of the world, I believe Yah's son was already announced as the lamb. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 that was heavenly language, and it was revealed to the prophets. And they didn't just come up and say, well, we're going to call him the lamb. Elohim, Elohim had already done that. He had already named him the lamb in, in, in the covenant before the foundation of the world, and that's what Peter in Revelation is pointing out.
0: Mm, okay. And you also stated that at the beginning of the animated sacrificial system, when he clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins, that's where it began?
1: hmm He started it off. He kicked it off. Okay. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Now, See, that's why, that's why when you read in the Bible and it says that Cain and Cain and Abel offered a sacrifice— because you, you never you, you never read where Adam and Eve offered a sacrifice. It, it, it starts yeah. with their children. So if they started with their ch- children and didn't mention uh, Adam and Eve as offering sacrifice, what does that translate? Mm-hmm. They knew that the very clothes that they wore came from animal sacrifices that Elohim put on them. And so they knew the sacrificial system, so they taught it to their children, even though it, it didn't didn't say that. So if if Cain and Abel were to offer sacrifice, they got it from Adam and Eve who learned it from the father.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, We have a question from a fellow listener. Okay. And it reads, uh, Isaiah one fourteen says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. What does this verse mean?
1: Okay, let me get your verse so I can see exactly what you're articulating. 114.
0: Yes, Isaiah Okay. 114.
1: Okay, now uh, the new moons were every m- month. They came every month. Okay? okay, so every time a new month came, they would generally blow the shofar to welcome in a new month. And by knowing the new month, especially when the feast days would come around, they would know uh, when... Uh, certain feast days were to to come because Elohim gave certain dates in like the first month and the seventh month of Elohim's calendar is when the feast days occur. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that the Sabbath is a feast, but that's a weekly feast, but I'm talking about the annual feast. So when it says here, your new moons, it's talking about not feast days, but new months. Mm-hmm. So, and when we read this text, it's saying your new moons and your appointed feasts. So, there's a separation between new moons and appointed feasts, even though all of them are are relevant. So, he's giving you two categories of what you're dealing with. He said, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hated. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Okay? All right, let's get the essence of what what is being said, because you can easily draw the conclusion that, wait a minute, why are y'all keeping feasts? And he's saying he's weary with these things. You know, why are you keeping this? All right, let's let's get to context. All right, let's go up to verse 10, Isaiah 10, and kind of read down to get a context of why he is saying this because one of the first questions that comes to my mind when I read Isaiah uh 14, uh, 1, 14 is this he says he says your new moons now how can Elohim say your new moons he's the one that gave it so when he says your new moons that's an indication that something is going wrong here because Elohim is the one that gave them and then he says your appointed feast He said, my soul does hate it. Okay. So something is going on why he doesn't say my new moons or my appointed feast. Something's going on. And then he closes in verse 14 by saying, they are a trouble unto me and I'm weary to bear them. Okay. All right. Let's go to verse 10 and get a little background. He said, hear thou the word of uh, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our Elohim, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith Yah? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or the lambs or goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required... This at your hand to tread my courts. Bring no more vain oblation incense as an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbath and the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting, okay, now we'd already read verse 14. Now let's go to verse 15. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when ye make my when you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before. Mine eyes, and cease to do evil. So what was going on, the reason why he says your feasts and your moons and your sacrifices, I can accept, is simply because they were not living right. But they were using his feast days and coming before him on his feast days and not living right. So he said, wait a minute, the way that you are living and what you are doing, you are making my feast days not mine, but yours you got so much evil and iniquity. You like Sodom and Gomorrah, you are evil and you're wicked. And I, and I, and I can't, I can't deal with it. He said, you need to cleanse yourself. And once you cleanse yourself, then when you uh, offer the sacrifices and stuff, then I can accept it because you are cleansed, but you're using these sacrifices and stuff. But yet you are living a life contrary to that, which you are doing Now, People say, well, some people may say, well, he did away with the feast days. Well, if he did away with the feast days, he, he also mentioned the Sabbath in there too. And he also mentions in in, in this verse, if you notice, that w- what he says in, in uh in verse number uh 15, 115, he says, and when ye make many prayers, I would not hear. So if we did away with the feast day, he would have to do away with prayer too. He said, because I'm not going to hear your prayer either. And so what we're looking at is, he is not saying, if some that I've heard say, that, you know, these people uh, was keeping a feast, but now he's saying he don't even deal with feast. No, he's talking about their behavior on his feast days that was not congruent with a righteous type of living. And he says, not only... Uh, I'm I'm rejecting them keeping my feast days, but I'm calling the way they keep it. I'm calling it their feast days and I'm calling it their new moons. And I'm saying, I'm not going to even answer their prayers because they are not right. But if they can get right and keep my feast days, he said, then, you know, they can, they can be mine. But other than that is it's your stuff. You doing your own thing, not mine.
0: Okay. Hope that answers the question. And now when it Mm
1: comes... I was going to say, it's interesting that in this verse, uh, uh, in verse 18, I think we often quote that, which is in conjunction with the question. Uh He says, come now and let us reason together, saith Yehoah, though your sins be red as scholars, they shall be as white as snow. And, And so... And, and, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So in other words, it is pointing out that they, their lifestyle was not right. And he said, come on, let's reason together. He said, now, if you put away your sins, you know, this blood can cleanse you and he can make you white as snow. And if you uh, put away your sins, even though they're red like crimson, I can make them white like wool. So he's letting them know that the main issue is not uh, so much him doing away with his festivals, but they're doing away with sin and their lives so they can have the blood of Yeshua to be able to match these holy uh, appointments and new moons like he wanted to because their life is coming in harmony with it. And he said, that's the reason. You know, I can give you what you need if you're willing to accept it.
0: Hmm. And two, one last question before we get ready to wrap it up. Uh, it never mentions in Scripture what type of animal that uh, Yahuwah slayed to clothe Adam and Eve, did it?
1: No, at least the Scripture doesn't say, but uh, we, we kind of feel that he did use the lamb, but uh-huh. uh, because of the fact that when the, when the uh, system was introduced in Exodus, the first time the lamb is spoken about, is spoken about in terms of sacrifice. Uh-huh. and And so when he says... He's gone off his son as a lamb. And in that council, no doubt he told uh, Yeshua that up until he is crucified on the cross, we'll use the lamb. We can only surmise, I cannot say factually they use the lamb mm-hmm. because in the Passover he did say you could use the lamb or a goat. But I'm assuming at the freshness of the creation that the lambs were pretty large and these lambs that were so large, he probably slew one of them, and once he had slain the lamb, it was enough to get enough wool for Adam and Eve to be clothed in. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it was the lamb, but mm-hmm. would I say emphatically that it was the lamb? No, I cannot say that. I can only say it, it points to the fact that because he was called the Lamb of God, that when Elohim first sacrificed he used the lamb to represent the language of what the Bible would be talking about in the pre-council and then in this world and the world to come. Since the language is mostly geared towards the lamb, I'm assuming very strongly that he did use the lamb, but I can't say that factually.
0: Okay. Well, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast?
1: Okay. Our oh, loving Father again, we are so grateful for the lamb. And as we study it and understand what it's all about, one of the primary purposes of the lamb was to get the blood because blood represents life. And as they had to get a lamb without blemish and spot, it was saying that the blood of the lamb was pure, it was innocent, it was a type of blood that was righteous. And as we come to you, O Father, during the Passover week to renew our covenant with you, that you would take our lives in our blood. And our blood, just like your blood, represents our life, and so our blood represents the life of sin. So we come again to you, giving you our life of sin for your life of righteousness through your Son, that when we make the exchange that your grace and your mercy may be upon us to help us to continue in the way of the covenant of truth. And that when we keep your new moons, when you keep your Sabbath and your appointed times, that we may keep it according to the way that you would keep it. And that is, that when we eat the grape, when we eat the, when we eat the unleavened bread, and when we drink the grape juice, it reminds us of your body and your blood that atoned for us. For it was unleavened bread. And we know that unleavened bread, you cannot cut it. It's not soft to cut. You have to break it. And when your body was broken, It could give us the blood that we needed in order to atone for our sins. So we pray for each person who is listening, my host, myself, and each listener, and those who will listen, that they may have the blood applied to them to be pure and clean. And once they are pure and clean, and you accept them in the covenant promises, O Heavenly Father, their lives will be preparing them for eternity. That when we celebrate this supper in the new world, We'll have that new grape juice in the kingdom of your Father. And when we sit at your table, O Heavenly Father, with perfect vision to be able to look up and down the table to see the millions who have been saved, we can all trace this to the blood of Yeshua that he shed on Passover. In his name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.
0: That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at the science of the covenant at gmail.com. And the King commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Pesach unto Yahuwah Elohakim, as it is written in the Sefer of this covenant. 2 Kings 23 21. Shalom.